friends in the east. I got friends in the west. Yeah, they all try to tell me that the place is the best. When I laugh in their face, I say you really wanna go. You wanna get nutty? Go out of your mind. There's only one place to go, and everybody sings. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. You're looking good, man. Thank you. Hanging Just in there. Ready for the holidays? Uh, no, not yet. Well, we you're don't doing even right. up yet. <laughs> I've been waiting for years for this book to be written. Uh, the Loop Files, an oral history of the most outrageous radio station ever, uh, or every every Loop employee ever, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that was a pretty good joke. I saw that on Facebook. Uh, of it's course, I'm, I'm referring to uh, another epic project of yours, a true labor of love. Every Cub Ever, a comprehensive guide to everyone who ever wore the uniform from 1871 to when was the last year you updated it? Last year. 2020. 2020 uh, 2022. Right? Yeah. Wow. I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still fumbling around here with the, uh, with the 2018 version. So, okay. uh, but yeah. that, that's... Uh, that's a, a, impressive in its own right. I, I, we might have also gone with back in the LUP. Yeah, right. Exactly. For, for your oh, book back I'm in like the DDR. You're bringing them all <laughs> up. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Or, or the doll files, uh, a doll's <laughs> eyes uh, for one of Steve's yeah. old jokes. The big book of disco demolition. How about that? Yeah, there's a lot of disco demolition in there, isn't there? 50,000 people, the largest crowd of the season, showed up at Chicago's Comiskey Park for the twinite doubleheader between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers. 15,000 others had to be turned away. Many had come for Disco Demolition Night, a promotional gimmick. Between games, as planned, a huge box containing thousands of disco records was blown up. was unplanned. Fans stormed out onto the field in the thousands. Disco records were hurled like frisbees. Bonfires were set. Bottles were thrown. The batting cage was torn down and destroyed. Fistfights broke out. White Sox players had to be locked in their clubhouse for their own protection. The melee lasted an hour and a half and resulted in 39 arrests and a few minor injuries. The baseball fans missed the second game. It was canceled. The White Sox lost it. Disco it demolition really sort of kicked off the loop, right? Yeah, I think it put it on the map. I think, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it was uh, obviously on the map before that, or people wouldn't have all come to Disco Demolition. But yeah. uh, it was uh, like a bubbling of culture underneath the surface of, you know, people like us who were, you know, teenagers or mm -hmm. uh, young adults at the time. Um, we didn't really have a voice on the radio yeah. that was to us. And that radio station did it i mean they they uh grabbed us and they gave us what we wanted and and we're still loyal to them to this day you know mm -hmm. 50 years later hello i'm bob odenkirk and today we're going to talk about disco demolition cheers well i guess our story really begins in 1977 with the massive success of disco which is a terrible form of music Okay, so Steve Dahl is a DJ, 24 years old, at The Loop, WLUP, 97.9. And it's a rock and roll station. Steve Dahl uh, says, F you, I'm not going to play disco music. And Steve is having a good time, and he's blowing up disco records. So on the radio, you go, ah, we got a disco. Look, at Kiss made a disco record. I'm going to blow it up. And he'd play it and then scratch the, the needle on the record and then press a cart tape and... Again, so uh, just to be clear, we're 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 not talking about the doll's eyes or or the, the doll files. We're talking about the loop files, the oral history of the most outrageous uh, station ever from uh, from Eckhart's Press. Outrageous, maybe groundbreaking, breaking, definitely. Um, yeah, dozens of great photographs in this book, man. Um, it's almost encyclopedic in scope. Yes, thank you. I, if if that's a compliment, I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it it truly is. You know, a, a lot of books, especially a lot of books like this that are sort of compendiums or even oral histories, leave a lot of questions, right? Or or can inspire a lot of questions. This didn't leave me wanting anything after I was done with it. I, I was 
thoroughly satisfied with with the narrative and and everything that you put in there, man. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. it. You know, it was a lot of work, but uh, I, I, can guess. It, it, I think my favorite part of writing this was reconnecting with all my old colleagues and friends and uh, and reminiscing. Um, and it really is yeah. a uh, a nostalgic trip down memory lane. Yeah, you know, I, I had a, a conversation a while back with uh, Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters, who does who does a, a great blue show in on Sundays in uh, in Louisville, and we bonded over uh, a shared admiration for Mitch Michaels. Oh yeah, Greg Martin was just the biggest fan of his, and and was talk. We were talking chapter and verse. He used to he whenever he was in town, he would catch the loop. Uh, but he, he caught him on various radio stations all over the country. The tentacles of the station went far and wide. Yeah, they did. I mean, uh, they're working on a documentary uh, that is going to come out in the spring. Larry wow. Ward, who was the uh, boss of the loop for a while, yeah, is doing it. And he's got people like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel uh, on the show mm -hmm. or in, in the film talking about how that was the the goal of everybody who was ever in radio that, to work for the loop it was like the uh the top of the mountain to be able to work on that station i'd like to tell you about a remarkable radio station get it up chicago this is steve Garland company with the rude awakening on the morning loop me, Les Tracy, with Good Rockin' on the Loop. Rich Michael's cruising through the afternoon at the Loop. This is Rock and Roll Radio. Sky Daniels on the Loop. You have a remarkable mouth. We have a remarkable radio station. How does that happen in the number two or three market, depending on how you look at it, in the country when you have New York and Los Angeles or even San Francisco? You have, you know, where, where things tend to be polarized towards the coasts and the loop just hit it big. I think part of it is, you know, LA has Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, New York has, you know, the, uh, has Broadway and has yeah, you know, yeah. like the news headquarters of the world. Um, and Chicago, um, you know, our radio stars were our stars mm -hmm. and we were just blessed to have, you know, some of the best talent uh, in the country here and and at the loop we had i call it the 1927 yankees of radio <laughs> all working at the same station at the same time yeah. uh, you know you walk it down the hallway and you're 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 bumping into hall of famers left and right yeah yeah wow i i, I grew up on the loop i i attended chicago fest shows uh wearing wearing our loop colors steve dolls coho lip breakfast club I was a devoted listener. I, I, I even I even knew Steve when he was on briefly when he was on Disco DAI. Isley Brothers on Disco DAI. That's number 16 this week on our countdown, and we're going to get back to it. But I got lots to tell you. Going to have a Disco DAI hot mix for you tonight at seven. Soothe your nerves. Start your holiday right here on WDAI. Oh wow! I first heard it. Um, yeah, that that's even it predates my uh, fanhood. <laughs> And, and as a broadcaster, I took a great deal from Steve's innovation in the media. He really changed radio. He did. Yeah, he, he made it a personal medium. Right yeah. Before that, people were talking at you. Yeah, yeah. And he, he brought you into the conversation. I mean, he was candid. He uh, talked about his own life. He, yeah. he became three-dimensional figure yeah and and that changed the way people did radio you know to this day yeah um, it's a it's a model that we all follow and I, I don't think he gets enough credit for that i really don't i saw it on tv it was just like everybody got worked up into such a frenzy they just didn't know what else to do and they ran out of the field and were dancing around and oh boy <laughs> oh man so buy a paper and read all about it unbelievable unbelievable Bill Gleason in the Sun-Times is not too pleased this morning with me. I think he likes disco, if I remember from his column of a couple I, I days ago. I don't know. Ago. Who knows what he likes, you know? <laughs> Some old guy has no idea what's going on here. It's like I went around and, excuse me, could you get up now, please, and go run on the field, okay? <laughs> could you light a bonfire in center field? Sure, Steve, whatever you want. You know? We didn't do anything except we went out there and had some fun with 50,000 people that we love, and uh, they like us okay, and... Uh, 
It's turned into an unbelievably large thing. And I'm getting my voice back a little bit, which is nice. There you go. More coffee should help that. Yeah. So. I think we should thank the people who stayed in their seats and just kind of remained calm yeah. during the whole thing. Yeah, was, you know, no, he, he, he was, he was a true revolutionary of, innovator. Uh, how how does one begin a project of this scope? All, uh, well, I think I'm, the, I'm lucky in, the, in one regard, and that is I've been a media writer for 30 years. And so... I have been interviewing all of these people and some of these interviews are, you know, 15, 20 years old, some, yeah. you know, posts that I'm taking, but I figure we're talking about something that happened before that. So, I mean, mm -hmm. the memories were pretty sharp about what happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I was lucky. I don't. And plus I also knew all of them personally, because I worked there myself for mm -hmm. seven years. So um, all the biggest names, I, I know them all. I can call and pick up the phone and call them. Uh, interview them, talk to them, and I, and I knew what questions to ask because I was there and I saw what happened. You've you've compiled this over the years, and then but there's there's a real narrative story to to this. There's there's a narrative arc that follows the trajectory of of a dramatic story, right? Sort of sort of the rise and peak, and and kind of the internal battles and internal dramas and external pressures and all those things. So it's it's not just a dull read. It's not just it's not just people saying this happened on this date, this happened on that date. This there's there's a definite momentum to the story. And then at the end, we're we're kind of a little bit brokenhearted at at the at the dissolution of or the end of an era. Did did you have to massage that that narrative arc? Did it was it natural? How did how did you you sort of put that in the in this narrative? To tell you the truth, Bill, I didn't realize that it was such a, a story arc when I started this project. You know, really? I knew that it was gone, and I knew uh -huh. that there was a demise and everything. Uh, what I did is I when I asked people to just tell me their stories, tell me their best stories. I didn't mm -hmm. really, I wasn't trying to write it, you know, uh, as a history as as a as much as I wanted an accumulation of some of the no. great stories that. And once I started putting them into a uh, a timeline, I saw the arc myself. I was like, wow, okay, so we're all one big happy family. Everything's going great. Uh, you know, we're the biggest radio station in the world. And then, you know, you get too big. And and each, each show starts getting a little uh, jealous of the others and yeah. little, you know, uh, disputes start uh, festering and and it just it's just natural. It's a natural uh, story arc, as you mentioned. There's definitely some personality lessons and stories here. Um, the Steve and Gary breakup, uh, you talk, which which I, I thought you kind of revealed something very important here. But I'm going to hold that for for a little bit later, and we're going to concentrate on putting a book of of this scope together. So on an earlier episode of Chicago Rights, we had on Nora News, who is the author of uh, 24 Hours in Charlottesville, an oral history of the stand against white supremacy, uh, an important book. And in that, we talked about a proper uh, oral, uh, how, how to construct a proper oral history. We obviously been, uh, you've obviously been collecting these stories for many years. Um, and there are some great stories of Chet Kopic, the late great Chet Kopic, who was a friend of yours, who passed away in April 2019, uh, who I was lucky enough to meet through you. Um, and I, I'm I'm still kicking myself that we never we never uh, made an opportunity to to get him on the show. What was the the catalyst for finally pulling the trigger to get this done? Uh, there were really two things. One was uh, Kevin Matthews contacted me about two two years ago and he wanted to do a film about uh, the history of uh, his show his band and uh sent me you know video clips um that i uh, directed and put into a, a narrative form and while i was doing it uh larry worked the uh the general manager of the loop uh in in my later years there mm -hmm. told me that he was working on this documentary and i realized that i had all this stuff already uh accumulated yeah. and all i needed was to you know check back with some of the big players like i you know had a long conversation with mm -hmm. 
Jonathan Brandmeier and, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see some of this stuff in the book Yep, that I put it all together. And my co-publisher, Dave Stern said to me, you know, Hey dummy, you know, nobody can write this book, but you, you're, you're the one that knows all these people. You're the one that has all these contacts. This is a story people care about. They want to read about it. And why haven't you done it yet? You own a publishing company, you moron. <laughs> uh, basically, that was that was how he put it. And uh, so that's when I started putting it together into a book form. Oh, that's great. Uh, and and uh, Dave Stern, is, you said is the uh, uh, is your co-publisher at Eckhart's Press. And, and you guys, you guys sort of have made a huge mark on being the voice of of Chicago media, right? Yeah, with, that's, I, I'm I'm holding your. Records truly is my middle name uh, uh, about John Records Landecker, but you've done Bill Evans. You've done uh, you 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 did a book by uh, uh, about Chakopic, right? Yeah. So you Michael's Poppy Escape. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. So Chuck Skorsky is another one. Yeah. Right, right. So this is this is kind of uh, is is this the bookend to to all that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know. Um, Having worked with all those guys on those books too, because uh, they're all in they this all book, great stories. You know, Mitch, yeah. they are, and Mitch is kind of the star at the beginning of the book. If you ask me, I mean, Mitch had some great stories in his book, uh, uh, doing yeah. the cruise, yeah. and he told me that I could use those for for this book as well. And Bobby mm -hmm. Scapefish had these interviews of these huge rock stars that were relevant at that time that uh, he allowed me to use and. So I had like the nuts and bolts of the story already, and I just needed to fill in the holes, uh, which you know made it great. I made it made it uh, made it doable because it was a huge project. Uh, I I can imagine. How long did it take you to to write this or pull pull it all together? I I it took me the I'd say a better part of two years uh, wow. to to wow. do it. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, it's really 30 years if you think about it, because I left yeah. the loop in 1993, uh -huh. and uh, I was already writing at that time. And uh, you know, John Records Landecker, you mentioned his book; he's also yep. in this book. And, and you know, I got to meet all of these people, and they're they I'm all have lying. great stories. Well, I and, yeah, as yeah. you, what do you do, Bill, if you're studying a script, then all of a sudden you get a headache, a migraine? That could uh, what what happens? You just put it down. Do you walk away from it? Well, it depends on how much, you, how important it is that you show up for work. Are you, are you cured like that Exeteran commercial? Thirty seconds, then all of a sudden, boom! You go to another spot, then you go back to the Exeteran commercial, and it's gone. Well, I uh, I remember Gilda Radner told me that her dad used to get real bad headaches mm -hmm. for a while before they found he had a brain tumor, and uh, that he used to just sort of start swinging and breaking everything in the room, lamps and everything would go over. God, you know what? Huh. I was doing that last night to Deb. I broke the, our entire trailer. I just wiped it apart. I ought to get that checked. Hey, you know who's on the phone, Bill Murray? Who? Oh. Good old number six. Butthead. Oh. Hey, hey, Kev, are you there? Hello, guys. Wasn't it a field of dreams up in Haynesville, Butthead? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hello, Bill. Hi, Kev. How are you? Fine. What was the final score? 17 to 10. So, I, I guess I guess what what comes what comes to mind first in the book is that it it kind of tells a story of of a dying genre or a dying era of of radio. Yeah. And do you think that we can ever get that back? Is it, or is that so. era long gone? I think it's well. There are a couple of reasons why it's gone. Number one payroll you know the yeah, uh, yeah the amount of money it takes to put something like that together uh you know all of those stars that were all making millions yeah, yeah. and we're talking 30 years ago they were making millions yeah and uh, a single commercial on one of their shows would would bring in like 1200 1500 dollars yeah and so you start doing that uh, math in your head <laughs> that that market is not there anymore for radio. No, no it's not. Um, so they can't sustain it financially. That's one thing. Um, but number two, um, you know, it's a it was a less polarized time. I, I I mentioned this the other day to somebody. I didn't even know the political uh, thoughts of all of these people. We we never discussed politics on the air. It was we were just having fun. Yeah. And it, politics never came up. I didn't know who was a Republican or who was a Democrat. It was 
It was not part of the show. Hello? Toy. Is this the toy store? Mm-hmm. Yes, hi. Uh, do you have Peep and Pete step stool? No. Do you have uh, Little Doggy Elix-a-Lot? No. Do you have Hot Wheels Rush Hour Road Rage set? Road Rage? Yeah. I got a whole bunch of just different toys here, and I, I got to get these things. I'm s- sorry if I sound flustered. Right. Yeah, I don't have the Road Rage one. Uh, Uncle Gary's Nylons? Nothing I've heard of. Gas a ra- lot of these things aren't anything I've ever heard of. What? Yeah. You got to be kidding me. Mm-mm. Um, Smack, uh, the Sea Pickle construction set? No. Uh, Buy Curious George? I have Curious George. Do you have Buy Curious George? Um, let me see. I've got a Tumbling Curious George, and I've got a Curious George on a bike, which might be the one. Hmm. Nope, it's a musical ride-along is what it's called. High-voltage scratch and sniff? No. Uh, Edible diapers? No. Uh, do you have the casting couch, Ken? No. Bird flu baby? No. Do you have beer farm? No. Do you have Uncle Willie's pocketless pants? No. Quacky the exploding duck? No. Little kitty cat condo and easy bake oven? No. Easy bake oven was recalled. It was recalled. That's what I thought. Was the explosive uh, Uncle Stumpy's explosive adventure also recalled? I'm not sure. That's nothing we carry. Uh, boy. Yeah. Even even talk radio like uh, WLS was talk radio a little bit in the uh, in the 80s and 90s. Um, they had they had personalities like Bob Lasseter and 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 people like that right. who were who were agitators but not political partisans so much. Everybody seemed like they were fair game. One of the things that I found really interesting about the book and about the the sort of tug of war between the creative side of the of the business and the management side of the business was how do you properly manage that raw creativity without hindering it, right? I, I, beyond FCC constraints, and, uh, and and that's kind of somewhat amorphous. And I suppose that gray line of of comedy versus abuse, uh, punching up, so to speak. But that seemed like a core aspect of the book as well. Well, you know, I, it really felt like there were no rules. Yeah. Uh, when we were working at the loop and the, the management made decisions to let the creativity flow. Yeah. And, and uh, that gave us some great moments of radio, but it also um, in the end, in my opinion, you know, the lunatics were running the asylum and at some <laughs> point uh, they were not controllable anymore. Yeah. There was, no, there was no way to bring it back. And when the dispute started happening, yeah, there was no way to solve them. You know, there yeah. was no mediator that could come in and and, and help uh, handle situations. Uh, I was wondering if there's any chance we'll ever bring back Buzz's Porno Emporium. There were some great titles in that collection. Um, I'm all out of this. You're all out. Okay. Uh, we're that, all out, too. Yeah, that's right. Jeez. That's why we can't we can't continue to sell. We do have some of these. We have uh, The Spy Who Hunt Me up on uh, eBay. Yank My Doodle. It's a dandy. Still up there. Bun Smoke. Coal Miner's Boner. And uh, Genital Ben. Is also up there. Uh, the Buns of Navarone and Eat Me in St. Louis are still up on eBay. Night in the Living Pud by Walt Didme and Willie Likes It in the Chocolate Factory are also available at Buzz's Porn Emporium. But I will tell you this, Old Smeller, here are the biggest sellers. Old Smeller, Free Willie, Robin Hood's Men Are Tight, and Scrotal Recall, or The Hair Up There, or An Officer in a Gentleman, or The Hand That Whacked My Ladle. I will. I love Carlito's Gay. We'd like to get a piece of that action. Uh, guys in Inflated Dolls, that's some, class, some classic ones, and, of course, Ferris Bueller shot off. A lot of these we're still looking for. Hector, do we have Dirty, Harry, and Sticky? Although, although you, you do describe a, uh, a sudden firing of Stephen Gary over yes. the FCC incident. Now, that's it's still to this day, they don't know why they were fired. You know, I've talked to both Stephen Gary, but I was their producer for many years. And they they did they have st- they still don't know why they were fired. They were on the verge of being national stars. I mean, yeah, yeah, been uh, uh, syndicated into Milwaukee and Detroit. They had several other uh, markets that were lined up, ready to go. Uh, they had a network in place. Yeah, um, and this was before Howard Stern uh, did any of that. In fact, Howard Stern, we know for a fact, was a fan of Steve's. He listened uh-huh. to. Him. And it was a major influence on on Howard Stern. You know, the fact that they walked in one day and were told, that's it, you're out. Yeah, uh, It's still shocking today. And it happened in 1981. 
And uh, who, who was it in the book that speculated that it might have had something to do with a penthouse uh, commentary on a penthouse? Uh, well, that that came later. The, the time that okay. um, when they were fired the first time, uh, it was right after uh, Ronald Reagan uh, became president. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's somebody in the book, uh, Bob Hyman, who's a uh, right. was a jockey at the Loop right. and who buys and sells radio stations now that's what he does he speculated that it was an effort to keep the fcc off of their back because uh, wow. they buy other stations but uh, they the, the, it's it was that unceremonious uh yeah. there, there was no these are the reasons and they they could just fire you line was uh for uh violating community standards yeah um, which yeah. I suppose uh, they did, but that they had been doing that since the very they, first. They time. had the, that. That was their shtick, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I I became a fan because hearing them, you know, take their bosses to task on the yeah. radio was unbelievably cool. You know, who yeah. Yeah. who has the uh, cojones to do that? <laughs> that that really made us think. Well, now these guys are truly rebels. I mentioned Nora News before, and we talked about some of some of the the finer points of uh, compiling an oral history. You had a lot of this this material already. What were there interviews that you went back and and had to had to do or to fill in to to tell that story better? Yeah, I, the the one big hole uh, was Jonathan Brammeyer, you know, who I had okay. never interviewed. I you know I knew him, I yeah. worked, with him, but. I had never interviewed him for any of the publications that I wrote for. And so I had to go back and, and talk to him. And he he was very generous with his time. He gave me a lot of the pictures you talk about in the book. Um, and uh, yeah, there's he, some great photographs in the book. Yeah, thanks. I, and, uh -huh. and Paul Natkin, who was the uh, photographer, uh, the, the official loop photographer uh, early days, he let me go to his studio and go through all of his files and wow. was super generous with the. Uh, I think everybody that was there wanted this story to be told, but nobody, nobody could sit down and do it, you know. And and I, I came at it with uh, no agenda. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't trying to. Uh, but you so like you said, you you've you've also worked with with a lot of these, published a lot of the the, the narratives about uh, about these broadcasters, and you wrote for the Illinois Entertainer, where you talked with a number of these people. Um, you even even referred to it in the book. You you kind of sat at the at the center of that right that world yeah. right I, yeah I I you were the best person a, to tell it I think so I mean yeah. even uh, Larry worked that to me that yeah. uh, was the right person to tell this story yeah. well, let me let I, me you know, ask I, you this this is this, this kind of uh, kind of an argumentative question but would okay. would other traditional publishers be interested in a book like this or would they would they parcel it off to say, well, it's it's too um, it's too niche or too what what I guess what I'm getting at is is you were really in the perfect place, so you had the story and you had the means to publish it. Yeah, I think that was important. Um, yeah, I think our whole concept of Eckhart's Press is that we are a Chicago publisher. Yeah, and you yeah. know that the main my first couple of books were published by you know big New York publishers and. I know what it's like dealing with them. And that's one of the reasons why I started this company in the first place. And, you know, there's just, you can't tell me that in a city with 8 million people is not a big enough market yeah. to uh, market a book. And that's, that's what we've done. A real nice beard, you know it really caught on my eye, Atola. But you know your mind is weird, your mind is weird. You really are a nutty kind of guy, Atola. Come on, give us back all the people at the embassy. The Shaw's in New York and he's taking chemotherapy. He's already gonna die, Atola. The Shaw back home, we know you're gonna eat him on Riotola, but we kinda need your oil to make our gas. You
you know you're such a pain in the eye of cola. Come on, cool your jets, meditate, eat a hamburger. Don't get us too upset or we'll do something nuclear. Bye-bye, Atola. lot of resources for writers wanting to tell oral histories. Of about two dozen sites I looked at uh, for for Nora's conversation and then then for your book, none of them, Rick, ever said uh, that you should structure an oral history to tell a compelling uh, story. The, the ultimate mission of every writer, right? Right. Uh, the story definitely follows, as we said earlier, that that classic, uh, that classic story arc. When did it become apparent what that arc would be? And was was there an editorial decision on your end to push and pull that that arc in, in any direction? Or or did you just let it present itself? Um, I think more the latter. I, what I did was I, I, I did all these interviews. I asked people to tell me their favorite yeah. stories. Yeah. And then I put them in order, a chronological order of when they happened. Yeah. And that's when I discovered, you know, that we had we had a story here. I thought it would be interesting even without that, um, but with the that I think this is why it's such a compelling book because yeah, it has yeah. it, it has all the elements that you'd want in a story. Yeah, yeah. Like, like like you said, you worked at the loop, but that closeness can be can be a benefit or a curse. True, because you 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 can you can assume things that that the audience doesn't know and they need to know how, how did you keep true to that that natural story in in that case did you have did you have somebody looking over your shoulder uh, an editor did you have help with yes i did have an editor and i did uh you know uh run it by some people just to to okay. see if i was on the right track or not okay um but you know, for the most part, I just kind of uh, I went with my gut on this. I I based it on. Have you seen the book that Tom Shales wrote about Saturday Night Live? I have, yeah, I have it on the shelf here. That that kind of was my model for how okay. to do this. Because you okay. have so many different people, and, and a lot of times they're telling the stories uh, totally differently. Like they don't remember it the same way. Somebody says yeah. it this way, the person yeah. says it that way. And there are a couple of instances where I just let it be, where they tell conflicting things. Mm -hmm. and then there are other times where I tried to find out which one was correct, you know, which, okay. and then I went with the correct one. Um, so <laughs> that, right. that's kind of, that was kind of how I, I chose those. That's how, that was my guiding light. There's two, or there were two rules that I had. One is I, I did not want to get anyone divorced. <laughs> and I did not want to get anyone arrested, uh, but everything else was fair. And everything had to be on the record. Everything had to be, uh, you can only tell stories about yourself. I didn't want people telling bad stories about somebody else. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I didn't think that was fair, but I gave everybody the chance to tell their story. And, and then I put it together. That, <laughs> that leads me to believe that there, there's a lot that never made it into the book. Oh, um, even though I, I'm, I'm thinking probably the statute of limitations has probably has probably has probably run on on a lot of those crimes. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just, yes, I'm I just speculating. Yeah, uh, there are no murders. That way. <laughs> All right. Well, you're you're no. good there. So this is, that that that's a check for the loop. There there were a lot of stories that I didn't put in that uh, were just redundant. You know yeah, where yeah. If somebody said something that was yeah. too similar to somebody else or, yeah. you know, even, even yeah. in the photographs, I, I made sure that I was covering everybody. I wanted, I didn't want one person to dominate more than somebody else. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the big stars to me were Stephen Geary and Jonathan Brammeyer. Yep. And, and Kevin uh, Matthews and Kevin Matthews. And I made sure that those guys were represented as, as the stars that they were. Yeah. I, I thought they came through very, very clearly, both from, from a creative stand. Uh, standpoint and and uh, as as a character standpoint, we we got you you give us a really 
unique look into Kevin Matthews' mind, which is uh, which is scary just thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> having, having been a fan and listened listened to him for years, but also you you got us inside that moment when Steve and Gary broke up. Yeah, which felt to me so. There was a I think there was a a, a program director who said at some point the rules changed, but nobody told us. But you you kind of you kind of got the got the idea that those two personalities had grown apart right. in, in a way, and that Steve was still locked in into the show and his vision for the show, but Gary was was kind of moving in a different direction, um, and and that both of them were sort of growing growing out of what they had initially innovated with with the changing market and changing media environment right i think that's fair to say i think uh you know uh as their producer uh during some pretty tense years yeah um i, I remember their real lives were never discussed uh except on the air like mm -hmm. when we, i would go into the into the studio during commercial breaks it was silence. They were not like, you know, goofing off and uh, doing anything other than the show. Yeah. And they didn't want to waste any good moment by not doing it live on the air. Yeah. Now that also brought, I think, some problems. And that was that they kind of grew apart from each other because they because it was strictly an on-air relationship at that point. And I at first I have to say we're very nervous talking to you because of all the of all the funny men in this business, and don't you love it when DJs pretend they're in your business? Uh, well, you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm sponsored by Pontiac, too. <laughs> <laughs> of, of all of uh, the people uh, in the world trying to be funny, you're our absolute favorite. You're our absolute favorite, our well, favoritist. You can't see me right now, but my face is red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we might lapse into PM Magazine questions on you just because, you know, Please. We don't want our magazine questions. We don't want. No, we're not that good. Big Gary Collins fan, are you? Huh? Big Gary Collins fan? Well, I miss. I, I there are three shows I don't miss. That's one of them. I just think when he's away from Marianne Mobley, he's really amazing. <laughs> yeah, when he can spread his wings a little bit. That's right. He reminds me of early Steve Allen when he was away from Jane Meadows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he does a cooking segment, maybe with a walk or something. I'll tell you something. That's how. And I you really to had two <laughs> strong creative personalities. Have you seen Lifetime? And yeah. at some point, yeah. at some point, there's going to be friction, which I'm I'm sure there was throughout their their entire career together, right? Yes, and I'm and. I would say that same is true of every show. Of every show. Absolutely. Uh, I, I've experienced it myself. With, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's just a natural a natural thing when you spend that much time with somebody. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. You're in the book, but only sparingly. The editor's edition, uh, editions are used also very sparingly and always as a vehicle for clarifying or moving the story forward. Um, how hard... Was it not to editorialize about something that you're so intimately connected to? And why not write this as a narrative instead of an oral history? Because I I, I didn't want it to be about me. I, okay. I felt like I was okay. not, I felt like I was, you know, a fringe character at best. Uh, you know, yeah. I was just a producer. I was a disc jockey, but I was yeah. not one of the stars of the station. I was not one of the people that was a decision maker. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, judge other people's decision making. So yeah. I let them tell it. I let them say what they did and what they didn't do. And then the reader can decide if those were correct or not. How did this not become a movie? Well, hey, it's, you know, <laughs> never say never. <laughs> never say never, Bo. At, <laughs> at least, at least those, those early days when everything was on was on a razor's edge and there was all this excitement and all this creative exuberance um, that just somebody, somebody made a reference to WKRP in Cincinnati, the television show, uh, right. stealing, stealing show ideas from, from the loop. Right. Yeah, that's right. I'm, it was exciting. Allegedly. 
Yeah, allegedly. Right. <laughs> it was exciting every day. You know, I, I was yeah. talking to Bob Trout about this in the book. And he he tells how, you know, every day you didn't know what you you walk out in the hallway and you might bump into, you know, anyone from Milton Berle to Jimmy Page, or, you know, where you just it it covered the spectrum of entertainment and everybody who was a star in yeah. the 70s and 80s and 90s came at that radio station. Right? Yeah. I feel like I met every major celebrity during those days. And at that time, it was not cool to take your picture with a celebrity. It wasn't cool to yeah. uh, to yeah. get an autograph. So I have no, I have no proof of any of this stuff. <laughs> um, but I, you know, all the other people, they all tell the same story. Yeah. And it was uh, every day was fun. That's I think the the bottom line. Don't you try to make a follow the local rock scenes predominantly because of that that loop legacy bands like mnr rush and off broadway and uh, even even cheap trick uh the madison all-stars all those great great local groups right yeah yeah survivor got survivor got yeah are you know sticks you know bands that were yep. you know huge in the 70s and 80s yep. the, the loop had a very big role in making yeah. them stars yeah, yeah. Um, the market was changing. You, you make this point, uh, or this this point comes out very clearly through the book. The market was changing throughout the '90s to more opinionated news talk radio formats. Um, a lot of younger younger boomers like me uh, changed the way people listen to to the radio, becoming disillusioned that life could be hard. Uh, many of those those DJs that we that we we all loved and all all rallied behind and and were eager to hear on the radio and e eager for what they would play they were replaced by pundits and pre-programmed content the music industry was in flux classic rock became nostalgia right yeah yeah and if you would have told me in those days that rock and roll would be an afterthought yeah i would have never believed it because it was our whole lives you know it was yeah, I've probably been to 500 concerts in my life uh, uh -huh. through the radio station and just, you know, out of being a fan of rock and roll. Yeah. And it was such a big part of our lives that we never considered that somebody one day would not think it was that important. The the loop was, was ubiquitous. It was the defining station of our era. There's a, there's a scene in there in the book that uh, Mitch Michaels describes driving into work one day and he stopped at a stoplight <laughs> and he's got the radio on he turns the radio down and he still hears it and he looks over at the other cars and they're all listening to it the whole, oh, you know, it just it was everywhere like you said it was that, everywhere that's that's brilliant do you think that because there there's a number of threads that i found in this book or a number of a number of ideas or thoughts um that that the book prompted do you think that media marketing execs were were learning to uh, were, were learning their own lessons from the way radio personalities were uniquely capable of affecting or or swaying the listener base, um, which is sort of part and parcel of of our media culture today? Were those people also making Trump? Yeah, well, I, that certainly could be argued. It yeah. certainly could. I mean, it was like a uh, a very intimate uh, way of uh, communicating 
yeah um, yeah somebody like a rush limbaugh who was uh uh, a fan of Larry Lujak growing yeah. up, uh, and yeah. Lujak uh, at yeah. WLS there in Chicago. He inspired some of these guys at the Loop, and they they built on his. And same with John Records Landecker. These are guys that were uh, pioneers uh, in personality, and the the Loop guys just took it to the next level. Um, and I think that uh, their approach uh, was just used in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the political sphere uh certainly uh, steve so can... when when steve Dahl got into the market he took a surgical knife to to the radio format he went after he went after larry lujak he went yeah. he, he went after especially uh wally phillips right to right. to sort of what what do you think what do you think was that part of that strategy tuesday morning in the dark you up from Tinley Park Said we were going away Even though my husband's gay I want to know the weather In intercourse PA You said it was wet today Oh Wally I just love your cheap Kmart toupee Wear some porous clothes, be sure to blow your nose, and go to Ace Hardware to get a garden hose. Oh, Wally, I called and you gave me some pantyhose with a cotton panel. Oh, Wally, I wanted a... Well, you know, you mentioned the punching up. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when yeah. you're uh, trying to make a name for yourself, you you punch up. Yeah. I think part of the uh, demise at the end there, you see when Mancow arrives in town, and he starts treating those Loop guys like the Loop guys had been treating, you know, the people that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and they did not respond well to it. Yeah. Uh, it didn't. It didn't go over well. It was a. You know. It. Uh, it was ugly. You'll see in the last uh, chapter that. The tension was so I can't even describe how much tension there was in the hallways during that last couple of years. It was- I've got I've gotten really mixed feelings about Mancow, but I, I kind of see him as, as a little bit of a sympathetic character coming on so late at the yeah. end of of that era in which he was sort of caught between that creative that creative fire to redefine redefine the media redefine talk uh make it personal and then with that emerging political right right and you know and some of the loop guys then eventually started doing more political stuff yeah. too yeah um and they found that the listeners didn't want to hear what they had to say about yeah. the, about those subjects have you um, have you gotten a lot of reaction from from the book I've gotten a ton. I mean, I can't, I can't even tell you uh, the, uh, the, it's flying off the shelves. Uh, I'm sure every day I get an update of the sales. I'm like, wow, <laughs> apparently I have tapped into something here. Very nice. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful read and a, a wonderful, important, I, I, I really think that it's an important piece of Chicago history, the book, as Thank well you. as, as well as the station. You've chronicled that history so, so spot on. Thank you. Um, but I think also uh, it is entertaining, right? The, just like the radio station was entertaining. These people that are in this book, they're all entertainers. And yeah, they, yeah. They're they great storytellers. Yeah. And they lived uh, very interesting lives. And they they were very kind to share it with me. Uh, and then, you know, threw me yeah, into the, to the readers. And now here's what Jim Schwartz with another AM 1000 Sports Minute. Brought to you by what? Wine and Coca. Brian Lights, eight, eight, six, seven. We go live to Bill Talbot of the Bears. And we go live to Jim McMahon next. Mr. Jake Leinenkugel of the Leinenkugel Brewing Company, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Today's letter comes from Carol Wells of Madison. 
Dear Jake, my sister says finest hops means the winner in a frog jumping contest. I disagree. Well, Carol, you jumped to the head of the class. Hops are a perennial plant in the nettle family used in creating Liney's distinctive taste. As for your sister, I'll bet she was born in a leap year. Sincerely, Jake. Leinenkugel, a legend in the brewing since 1867. Here's Jim Shorts. How you doing, everybody? This is Jimmy Shorts from Chicago on the sports side. What do you think we lose as a society or as a culture um, that those days are gone now? Yeah, I, you know, I try to explain this to my kids. My kids are all in their 20s. Yeah. They, they, in, even growing up as my son, they don't, they don't quite grasp how uh, much of, impo- how important this was. I was trying to explain it. To, it was on WGN TV recently, trying to explain it to Larry Potash, who's the, the GN morning guy. Right. Who did not grow up in Chicago. So did not mm-hmm. really have this history. Mm-hmm. And I said it, it was the kind of station that if you were in the car, you didn't want to get out of the car. You were afraid you were going to miss something. Uh, how many people were late, you know, showing up for work because they just wanted to hear the end of that interview or they wanted to see where they, you know, this uh-huh. stunt, if the stunt turned out or, you know, uh, all the different. Uh, what was happening with Jim Shorts's parents? Right, right, and you know, there's a great story in there where Jim Shorts, or where Kevin explains that uh, Jim Shorts's parents were Kevin's parents. Yes, and and he would just say to him, "All right, uh, Dad, uh, you're mad because the kid next door hit you. All right, we're going on in 30 seconds, you know." And then they would just improv it. Uh-huh. And show and I just get a uh, snowmobile. That's it's, fun. You bet it is. Nice wire fence decapitate yourself kevin that happened to my uncle really mm-hmm. right in front it was the first to get a skidoo in far white and we were all watching him he was waving and he had a <laughs> wire fence it's not funny <laughs> right in front of you kids yeah it's not funny <laughs> he was waving yeah he was waving that's a sad story. Oh yeah, I can tell. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Shemp, get Jim's dad on the phone. We'll talk about it. No, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Oh, blood all over the place. <laughs> oh yeah, it's real funny, Laura. There was nothing planned on that show. Every day, it was. It was just pure improvisation. Yeah. And he had, ahead, you know, man. he had like all these voices okay. in his head that oh, could come out at any time and say anything. And it was just fascinating. Hey, you know, wait, we I've can, uh, under control. Jim's dad's on the phone. Oh, really? Hi, dad. Why, Jimmy? Uh, just talking about Uncle Bob. Well, you know, that's strange because it's snowing and I always think about Uncle Bob when when it's snowing, it's just... Yeah, we were telling Laura Wittick, our news lady, about it. She's pretty choked up about it. Well, it, 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 it was, was awful. It was pretty sad. Right, it was. You know, he, he was one of the first ones down here to ever have a ski do. Right. And he was giving on a big demonstration for the kids. Yeah, and he went right through that barbed wire fence and cut him right in half. Yeah. We never did find that ski do till next spring. Right. I don't know if... Uh, way down it's there. It's not the funny, Laura. I'm sorry. Well, then what are you laughing for? It was my Uncle Bob. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, uh, I always get the pictures up. 13 at the time. Yeah. You know, the sad part about it, Dad, I was the next kid for the ride. I know. I know. Oh, Jimmy, you were lucky. Yeah. You were lucky. But he was such a good guy. He just loved the I, I think that's Remember one of the important the important aspects of, yeah. of this story yeah. is, and and maybe that's that's sort of a legacy, is that people are are looking for for those personalities to sort of cling to Taylor Swift and whoever, but so they, they're sort of, they're sort of like this magnet with all these, these shards of people around them, but it's so fractured in the society that there's no commonality. There's, there's no common culture, you know, or, or, or common or common conversation. How about that? Uh, better than yeah, I think culture. that's true in all aspects of American society right now where, yeah, yeah. You know, the, we used to have five channels we could watch on TV, right? When we yeah. were kids. 
and and so we had to all watch the same show so we'd come to to school and we talk about those things that we all watched yeah. now there's you know 500 channels and yep everyone has their own little niche that they're interested in and it's and if you're not happy with with what's on the radio yeah you know, and you're on Sirius XM you can hear hear stuff from all across the country exactly yeah exactly so it's not uh it, it, that's a, actually a, an important point is the you know the provincial nature of chicago yes that we were yeah um, these were our guys right? yeah. these were our guys and and gals and 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 we jealously guarded them howard stern came to town it was a scandal because you know who does this guy think he is coming in here steve to... didn't want him to come oh. to be in the chicago market right he definitely didn't yeah. I don't remember that well he was um, very adamant about it but he you know went on head to head against him uh Stephen Geary went on head to head against uh Howard Stern and beat yeah. him only yeah. in, yeah. in the uh, and this is just me spitballing here but I, I think Howard Stern represented a New York sensibility an East Coast sensibility yep. and the way the same way that disco represented yeah an LA or an East coast, uh, uh culture. Yeah. And we were always working class hog butcher of the world yep. and, you know, city of big shoulders and, and, and so classic rock or rock and roll was our flavor was yeah. our, was our language. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, I mean, Gary Meyer, a lifelong Chicagoan, you know, he, yeah. he understood Chicago. Johnny B was from Wisconsin, pretty close. You know, he, <laughs> he, got, it. he got the vibe, you know, and yeah. there's a definitely yeah. Midwestern, Midwestern guy. Yeah. Midwest. Steve made his mark in Detroit before yeah. he came to Chicago. So he yeah. had that background. Um, you know, Kevin Matthews is from Michigan. Mm -hmm. They're all Midwestern guys. Now, Danny Bonaducci was a, you know, a TV star. Yeah, but he fit right in with that group uh, when he came here, just because that was it was already an establishment. We had built the station, and and Danny just fit right in as a as a personality. My take is that Steve Dahl, Gary Meyer, Brand Meyer, Kevin Matthews, they were all men of their their time. And wouldn't they be eviscerated now in this current era and culture uh, yeah. of of gender sensitivity? Um, and political sensitivity and in all that because everybody was fair game yes to them equal opportunity offenders yes yes he also had another rule where he said if uh if it's not going to be funny it should be awkward Meaning yeah. that people yeah. remember awkward awkward is is which, not which i think which i think is part of the reason that albert brooks was so endeared to him agreed there's a fearlessness there and if you ever, you know this as somebody who's cracked a microphone, fear of not knowing what's coming next. Yeah. And if you have the confidence of self, and, and obviously those guys all were brimming with self-confidence. If you have the confidence to know that it doesn't have to be perfect, then you're capable of so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I always, I always told people it was sort of like stepping off a cliff uh, yeah. and just trying to land as gracefully at the end as possible. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I also think that that the passing of that era was we just lost Norman Lear, who created all uh, all in the family. And and I hate I hate to think that that time has passed because they were such they were such important oracles for for us. How how do you see that playing out? Do you see this as a as as a momentary trend or Will will it all come, come yeah, back I think, again cyclically? I think it. I think it's a cyclical thing. Where, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it gotten too stayed. Uh, you know, it, it was too uh, safe yeah. in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, when these guys came in, were rebels, and then yeah. maybe went too far the other direction. Maybe it was too out of control. Um, and then, you know, the new programmers came in and made everything safe again. Um, <laughs> and, and that's true in all media, I think. But I think people crave, they crave uh, differences. They they crave uh, people that are outspoken, who mm -hmm. are not afraid to say things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's going to come back. I, I mean, I'm hoping it comes back in a 
in a way that right now it feels like it it's coming back in a mean spirited sort of way. Yeah, and I hope that that's not the trend for the future because that. Uh, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you on that. I, I think Lorelai Shark, you quote her in the book, said it beautifully. The legacy of the Loop is rock is here to stay. Long yeah. live rock and roll. That's how I feel. Uh, you yeah, know, I, yeah. Uh, it's I, I here think... to stay. It's here to stay for our generation. Yeah. Um, it, it, the music that you grew up with is is the music that stays with you for your life. Yeah. And... I uh, I've I've seen you know there, there's a there's a few record stores and and, and places that still sell sell CDs and I was so inspired to see uh, and and or often uh, see young people going through records going through CDs looking for for that that new music you can do that on youtube too but there's something about that discovery that that i found when when i was you know hanging out in record stores uh that you you look at an album cover and you don't know you don't know exactly what's inside you can kind of guess but it's still going to be that big reveal right yeah i i feel i feel exactly the same way when i'm in a record store it's like yeah. uh, there's something about it yeah. My my oldest son is a is a music critic, mm -hmm. and he, he uh, has that same visceral reaction when he goes to record stores. And it's uh, you know, if it's music so... is important to you, uh, that record store has got to be important to you too, because it's Indeed. all. It's it's the reason that that books are that that actual books, not ebooks and, and audiobooks and what have you. Um, although there's there's a there's a great market for those, and God bless people who who, who like that. But it, it's the reason that that the book market is still strong. It's actually it's actually growing, right? Yeah, it actually is. And you know, as a publisher, I can tell you that there was a, a time maybe ten years ago where it looked like the ebook was going to overtake. Yeah, regular book, and then there was a snapback. And yeah, there's something about reading a book and then putting that trophy up on the wall in your bookshelf. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's you, you've accomplished something. You've read this book. It's it's part of your experience, and yeah. there it is, on the bookshelf. It, it it helps. It helps that experience that you just turn the pages, that you right. hold it, that that there's there's weight to those ideas. There's gravity to those ideas uh that, that I, I i think is is truly important um and and on the rock and roll front um i think venues like ron onesti's the arcata theater and st charles uh the displays theater reggie's uh there there are a few others that that keep that going i think the magic in this book is that it really describes an era which has come and gone but is hardly forgotten yeah i think that's a nice yeah. way of putting it. thank you bill yeah, yeah. Rick Kempfer is one of those quiet authors who comes out of the shadows, always with a hell of a story. His latest book belongs among the finest annals of Chicago history. As a co-partner with David Stern, Eckhart's Press, the Chicago's hometown publisher, especially for a comprehensive effort to, to chronicle Chicago media and personalities. Add to that a great list, which includes the late great Chuck Coppock, Bill Evans, and John Rickards Landecker, uh, The Loop Files, an oral history of the most outrageous radio station ever, a moment in time uh, that a lot of us still uh, still romanticize and grew up in. But what what a beautiful book, man! Thank you, uh, thank yeah. you. I hope that younger readers read it too to to kind of get an idea of what what it was like. Yeah, and and there are a phenomenal number of lessons here i think it's even maybe a primer for for radio execs uh on on the arc of a, a of a successful station right yeah i hope so uh, yeah. that would be great i'd and love to see a radio station take some chances absolutely and it's a it's a sublime effort at uh at, at an oral history done done right um and done with I think the loop fan in, in mind and the rock and roll fan in mind. You know, when I talked to uh, Johnny B, this, this uh, really stuck with me. Um, he told me that the, the people that come up to him, the listeners that come up to him and say nice things, that means more to him than his, yeah. than love of his peers or his, uh, or the critics or anyone yeah. else. 
because he was doing that show for the listeners. And that's what he really cared about. And all of those guys that I worked with, they all cared about the listeners. And I think have any of those guys seen this book. Yeah, they all have. Yeah. I'm getting, uh, you know, I got to say, I knock on wood. I haven't had any negative comments yet from any of them. That's that's brilliant. That's wonderful. Nice job, man. Thanks. What's happening, baby? How the heck are you? My name is Tony. Do you care to dance? No? Hey, calm down. Let me get you another pina colada. I mean, what did we join this exclusive disco club for anyway? You know, I mean, it costs $100 to join and we're supposed to dance. Don't you like my white three-piece suit? My gold Coke spoon, gold razor blade, and gold Italian snaggle tooth, you know? I wear tight pants, I always stuff a sock in It always makes the ladies start to talk And my shirt is open, I never use the buttons Though I look hip, I work for EFPUT Do you think I'm disco? Cause I spend so much time blow drying out my hair Do you think I'm disco? Cause I know the dance steps learned them all in There's a lot of creeps in here always sitting up on you. Let me tell you something. I'm not a creep. I mean, look at the way I am dressed. Sweetheart, look at my hair. It's perfect. I saw Saturday Night Fever 87 times. Please dance with me. Some people call me scum. Because I don't have a realistic set of values. And you know what? I'm beginning to maybe think they're right. <laughs>